Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Origin Story Podcast. I am your host, Michael Lowell, and it is my privilege to, once a month, ask an artist I respect to introduce me to a piece of work or an artist they love. This month, Stan Merritt has been introducing me to Roger Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October, and we are getting down to the end of the book. Uh, If you haven't listened to the previous podcasts, uh, you may not know, but we are reading a chapter a day and then talking about it at the end of the week. And we are close. This is our final uh, episode of Live Chapters. Uh, Stan Merritt, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, how was this last week of reading for you? Um, it was good. I mean, I, I got it done easily and enjoyably and managed to have some 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 uh, leisurely time while doing it. And But a uh, couple, couple of... Uh, couple of days I had to kind of double up on some things and, you know, you do what you have to do, Michael, you know, it's just one of those things you gotta, you do what you have to do. Life happens, but I, it's, it was still wonderful. And it was, uh, you know, heading in at breakneck speed to the finale. This is always uh, a lot of fun. So, uh, well, very cool. Why don't we just get right into it? Because, uh, I want to get to this ending. I got questions. I I got comments. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited about all of it. Uh, we left off at chapter 27. And uh, so at the end of that chapter, we we had a really big uh, revelation given to us by the lovely Packrat Bubo, hmm. uh, who lets us know that uh, the good doctor was not actually in the game. So there's not a secret player messing up the calculations. It's the fact that somebody we thought was a player was not. <laughs> and of course, Snuff and Jack make the very generous and very cool offer to let Bubo come live with them, which is really, really, really great. And that's kind of where we are when we start uh, October 28th. We're running down. we got four days left. Uh, it's really exciting. And uh, Stan, how does Zelansky, uh Zelansky? Zelansky. Zelansky. Huh, yes, definitely going to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> how, how does Zelazny start uh, our October 28th, kind of our last portion here? Uh, well, I think I think we uh, we discussed that just what you said. I think it's a little reemphasis on the fact that um, the problem was not secret player; it's the fact that we had an extra player. This is the first of the really big reveals toward the end, right? It's really substantial twists that we've been expecting. Um, so, uh, having uh, established that, reiterated that in the chapter. Uh, we see uh, Snuff sees the vicar uh, with the bandage on his ear and, uh, and uh, also sees some other significant character who's uh, up, up to, up to strange, strange activities, it seems, um, when he sees uh, Linda Enderby actually in a tree with binoculars as he walks by. And uh, Lin- <laughs> <laughs> we know well who Linda Ender- Enderby is, of course, the great detective. But uh, yeah, he he actually calls down to Snuff and asks him to come here, and Snuff ignores and keeps walking. Um, um, yeah, so that was strange. Uh, but she's what is the urgency of her needing to talk to Snuff at this point, right before things are starting to go down? I guess we'll find out. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, Bubo is uh, taking up residence in the basement of uh, Jack's place and. Uh, Taking up to taking up housekeeping, I think, is the way Snuff phrases it. But we have a really, really interesting, I think, little um, exposition, for lack of a better term, and it occurs when uh, Bubo the Rat is actually asked by um, is it Snuff or Jab? Pretty sure Snuff. What what exactly do you know about it's this Snuff. whole affair? 
It's snuff, right? Of course. What exactly do you know about all this? These goings on, Bubo, Bubo and he, uh, man, he uh, on page, uh, he goes into. I guess we cannot, by any means, uh, of course, read the entire paragraph. That would be absurd. But he goes into great detail about what it is that he knows, how he knows it, and what he's theorized, and the evidence he has to back it. And um, and Snuff is extraordinarily impressed. Uh, I think he says you've impressed me like no other. Almost. Yeah. Uh, Right? Bubo knows his shit. He really <laughs> does. He's learned a ton. And again, I don't want to read all of it either, but it's kind of, um, it's the first of these like info dumps that Zelazny uses. And normally that's a bad phrase, but he does it well. And I think part of it is that we just so, we want this information so much. You know, we know we're getting close to the end. We want to know what happens and how it works. And he they kind of tell us pretty explicitly here. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, even, you know, we, we get more information further on, but it's just, um, it's really kind of, it just sets it up so nicely, right? Mm-hmm. It does. And, and you're right. We're kind of craving this. I mean, it's, it's let, 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 let us, uh, let us know more context on what we're about to enter into. That's obviously going to be a finale of some kind. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, maybe the first, maybe, maybe the read the first sentence of that paragraph. Would that work for you? Is that too, uh, with Bubo, no, that, sounds, that sounds great. Go for it. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah. Snuff says, Snuff says of Bubo, uh, and he proceeded to tell me the story of how a number of the proper people are attracted to the proper place in the proper year on a night in the lonesome October when the moon shines full on Halloween and the way may be open for the return of the elder gods to earth and of how some of these people would assist in the opening of the way for them while others would strive to keep the way closed. Um, so there's there's your opening run on sentence that starts, you know, set, setting the stage for for uh, for what's going to happen via, of course, Bubo's explaining, explaining his knowledge. Uh, some pretty interesting uh, reveals, though, in this whole in Bubo's talk, uh, particularly about um, about Jack, we would assume. Um, um, he, Bubo does note, though, he, he we were talking about that you were questioning this earlier. It's probably worth getting right into now. Um, through Bubo's discussion, we find out that uh, the, for ages, the closers have won, which, you know, like you were saying, it kind of stands to reason, it would seem, right? Because we're the elder guys are not ruling, <laughs> <laughs> ruling the interdimensional realm at this point. I mean, things are uh, as they were. So um, often just barely they've won. But there, uh, but there are stories of a shadowy man, half mad, a killer, a wanderer, and his dog. Who always showed up to attempt to <laughs> right? And I got—I'm sorry—I got to just keep on. Yeah. I love—I love this next sentence. It's some said that he yeah, was keep going. Cain. Some said that he was Cain himself. Obviously, biblical reference. Doomed to walk the earth, marked. Others said he'd a pact with one of the elders who secretly wished to thwart the others. None really knew. So, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I got yeah. chills. I, I got so excited when we got to this. <laughs> so you know, it's, I think it's significant that in the in the Cliff's Notes version of the of the lore that's going on, Jack figures prominently, which confirms what you and I have been you know discussing. He's a real player. <laughs> he's tremendously significant in this game. Has been for a long time, and now we see just how. I mean, he's a, exactly. He's a stalwart. He's a standby. He's legendary. Nobody can quite figure him out, but he's always there trying to close the gate. And we know that he has been successful thus far because closers have won up to this point. Right. 
And after Snuff compliments Bubo, you know, Bubo kind of demurrows a little bit, and then he presses Snuff presses him a little bit. He's like, "No, yeah, I, I was. This was interesting. This was cool being close to this." He, uh, you know, says, "I've never done anything important before, and it felt good." Because mm-hmm. on one hand, you're wondering, like, why would this rat who's outside the fray be pretending to be inside the fray? Mm-hmm. But one, the game is seductive. And two, again, he felt like he's never done anything important before in his life. And it felt good. And I just, I, I like that moment a lot. Well, almost a bit of a vision quest on his part, right? It was something he had to do, kind of, right? To prove eh, maybe not. I don't know about vision no, quest. quest. I'm sorry. That was a horrible, um, horrible term. But it's yeah. like, it's definitely like he saw himself close to the glory and close to the, um, close to things that matter you know yeah. and I'm, I'm sure like in his you know monologue that he uses to audition with it's like you know like i finally had a chance to make a difference you know and so he, right. and he did so and he did well and then it's followed up by an even a i don't know if it, it's a better moment or not but i love this moment where he's where snuff invites him to go to the gypsies to hang out to hear some good music and he says snuff says we stayed late at the camp I don't have that many friends and it was a good evening. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another incident of that wonderful repose that, that where, where we get the, you know, just to see the humanity or an, a, animality, animalism of these, of these creatures, these players remember that they're, they're just, they live life too. And uh, you know, the music of the gypsies is so seductive and they, they know how to party. So it's that is exactly. neat. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Come on, let's go see the gypsies. <laughs> that's right. Like I don't have that many friends. Let's do that. I just I think that's just awesome. Very cool. Uh and then at the end of the section we get the big reveal. Uh, mm-hmm. which I did not see coming. I don't know why I didn't. I didn't really think about where it was gonna be, which I feel like I should have. But I was happy to to find it out. I think it it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh so where is this all this? Where's the big magic magical ending happening? Yeah, so we find out it's been under our nose figuratively the whole time and under Snuff's nose, literally. <laughs> yeah. So it turns that it turns out that the center of activities is going to be Dog's Nest, Snuff's place of repose where he goes. And, you know, we, we know Dog's Nest. We've been introduced yeah. to it. Yeah, so, um, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, and to, to tell you uh, from my perspective, I didn't see that coming either the first time I read it. I was I was surprised as well. Yeah. Did you keep that question in uh, that narrative question in your mind as you were reading? Like, did you have guesses? Uh, um, you know, I did not. I knew that. Yeah, I kept. I didn't either. <laughs> I, I had no guesses because it was there were too many variables. There were too many un you know undisclosed variables. I I felt lost trying to figure out where. I just wanted to to hear. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to find. I wanted to follow along with the narrative and find and get the disclosure. But I mean, it's it's a cool little twist, right? I think so. Yeah, I think it's a great choice. I think it's very, very cool. Yeah. And at the end, we have another, again, this chapter is full of, chock full of great moments. Uh, Snuff and Jack at the end, uh, having a little conversation, you know, too bad about Jill and Greymalk. And Snuff says, I've decided I will stay friends with them to the end. And Jack squeezes his shoulder, as you would, of course, because he's a good dog. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a little one, little warning again there with Snuff's like, it's not like Dijon, is it? I asked. Uh, so we got that little reminder of whatever mystery happened back in the day when Jack was distracted by the pretty lady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then one more smile reference here at the end, too. So stiff upper lip, friend. 
and yeah. stuff says that's how i smile <laughs> right 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 that's 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 really cool uh yeah as you would i mean the loyal dog you know dogs are always associated with loyalty and, and you know we've seen how loyal snuff is and he's doing he's doing the right thing notwithstanding all this cosmic structure that, that puts pits people against one another um we see that as an uh, him he and jack both as, as you well know they they have this um you know this sublime nature about them this friendly friendly caring nature about them notwithstanding the adversarial nature of all this stuff so i thought it was interesting too um uh when jack talks about the the one time when uh nobody figured out the center one year do you remember that <laughs> you're right <laughs> so, so just hung out did. right <laughs> they, they go get a meal and party and then they go home <laughs> yeah, exactly like we just all had dinner and all right well i guess i guess the older guys are staying put <laughs> nobody knows where it is see you next time <laughs> completely that's such a great moment yeah. um we that loads us into uh october 29th chapter 20 after chapter october 29th yep. uh and we start off with lunch with jill we got the foursome which is now a fivesome because uh bubo is invited as well yeah uh, and they have a great meal mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh we do have a dropping of a Zelazny, a Cormac word, as I referred to earlier. Maybe oh, not yeah. to you. It's Cormac word to me, meaning, as we discussed earlier, a, a fancy word that may be a bit arcane. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, uh, elegiac. He discusses yes. how the is almost elegiac in nature, E-L-E-G-I-A-C, which is, of course, Yeah, that is a good 50-cent word, a Cormac word, either way. Right, so. right. So, it's, of course, a derivative of elegy, and it just means like an elegy as are pertaining or like an elegy, which is, you know, quite simply a, a, it's a, it's generally a poem that's very seriously reflective and deep and, you know, very substantive morally. And, and, you know, it's a, so it's very serious stuff almost going on. And, uh, yeah. You can picture it, right. This kind of somber meals we're getting towards the end of the month. Um, and it, it says Jack asked outright, you know, whether Jill would, you know, consider switching. And she said she was conflicted, but uh, she was determined to play the game through as she'd started, which is you know, what you want, you know, as a reader, certainly. And, you know, probably deep down, Jack wants that, too. He wants her to stay. Um, you know, respect is a big part of it, whether you're on the opposition or not, you know. Yeah. And, and we're, t- we're told that under the rules and traditions of this game that that is allowed to happen. They can switch. We, we've been warned, you know, that, that that could happen. They can switch sides. So, yeah. So she'll hold steadfast hold steadfast in her beliefs for better or worse, right? Exactly. But and Zelazny brings it up. So we know it's a possibility still, you know, maybe that shuts it down, maybe it doesn't, you know, but the fact that he brings it up means something's in play a little bit here. Right. Uh, and then we have, and this is, I don't know that this is completely accurate of what's going on here, but we almost have like Zelazny giving snuff the rounds, you know, to getting to talk to the kind of the other characters that we've gotten to know and the other relationships he's had with familiars. Cause he, he ends up running into Needle next. He does. And I don't think we've heard anything about Needle since the Count died, right? Uh, you're right. And we find out why in a little bit here. But you're right. He's been noticeably absent. Yeah. Um, Snuff goes to the uh, goes out to the uh, good doctor's place, looks in the barn. Is that right? And uh, I think so, yeah. He's looking for the experiment man, as we've come to call the, the, the Frankenstein-ish character. And he runs into Needle instead. And that's the, the first we've seen of Needle in quite some time. Exactly. And so there they are talking. Uh, oh, yeah. 
and needle. Let's see. Well, he he needle also tells a story. So this twice in a row that he's using. I make sure I'm right on that. Is mm-hmm. this is needle telling a previous story? Correct. Just like uh, Bubo he, did. As yeah, well. ne- needle tells us a lot here. We we learn a whole bunch here. Um, so uh, yeah, he he discusses uh, that Owen was an opener uh, and uh, had tried to talk Rastoff into switching sides one night, but Rastoff held firm as a closer. Um, and and you know they're discussing these things, and and at one point Snuff looks at him and says, uh, "Needle, it, it, it's uh, sounds like you're still in the game almost." To which he, of course, replies, I am. But about that time, we have the, the vicar showing his ass again. So here he comes to ruin the party as we're about to find out some things. Exactly. We hardly even get a moment to take that in that he's still in the game. When, boom, we got a crossbow across our bow trying to trying to hurt our dog snuff. Yeah. I th- that's a pretty cool tease, a temporary tease there by Zelazny, I think. Don't you? That's pretty well Yeah, done. I do too. Yeah. It's almost like, look at the shiny object and look at this bigger <laughs> shiny object over here. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Good analogy. <laughs> yep. And we've got it. We got an excellent action scene here. Like I thought this is not, this is, I did not tune out at all in this. I was following it the whole way. I understood mm-hmm. what was going on and you know, those are hard to write. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of lovely. And so we've got this attack going on needle, uh, flies in the vicar's face trying to help Snuff. But who saves the day, really? Well, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's Linda Enderby who had called the Snuff <laughs> on the tree, who we know to be the great detective, uh, in the tree with her binoculars. Uh, but she is uh, she makes an entrance, and she does some pretty cool stuff here. She does ultimately save the day. Um, because Snuff, how- is, Snuff is trying to get down from this loft that he's in, down the ladder, and He's trying to. He's really cool. How he goes through these calculations about you know te- what techniques he could he should use and should I back down? Should I jump down? And you know, ultimately, he falls, flops down, and the the vicar steadily trying to reload his crossbow, which is an awkward, awkward, time consuming process. Um, but you know, fortunately, uh, in walks Linda Enderby and uh, pretty much questions the vicar. You know, you get this sense of uh, the detective playing his finest, Linda Enderby, and she's a, an outraged. Uh, uh, elderly woman in the community who's why in the world would you be trifling with this wonderful harmless <laughs> creature of God, this snuff, good old snuff. And, uh, and of course snuff at that point takes his cue to just start the old innocent exactly. dumb dog act. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how uh, the detective is still in character and you can just picture that just, you know, lecturing tone of shame, you know, <laughs> shaming mm-hmm. the vicar as only like a, a, a Linda interview type can do. All right. It is also, I think, in this section or thereabouts right here where we find out something I've been wondering. Uh, if the great detective is not a player, what the hell is he doing there? <laughs> Other than the fact that we that part of the dedication was to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, you know, why is he there? And we kind of find that out a little bit. And uh, I guess, I guess this is right in the conversation with uh, right after the barn and the, uh, where he saves the day with, with snuff and needle there. And we find out that basically uh, he is there as a friend to Scotland Yard 
investigating that murder of the cop. The body that <laughs> Snuff took was like a week, and then with the help of uh, Larry, <laughs> uh, threw in the river, right? Yeah, <clears throat> correct. Uh, well, I forgot the guy's, I forgot the, his lieutenant friend. It's a French name. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Um, I want to say Lestat, but that's not Lestat. I'm saying Lestat because <laughs> it's Halloween and vampires. But right. it's uh, somebody who always, uh, you know, asks uh, Sherlock Holmes to come in and kind of has friends and helps him out of that kind of thing. So he's there investigating that cop's murder that Snuff hid the body from that the vicar killed. Correct. Um, so that's kind of that's that's a completely legit, you know, justification as to why right. he's there. Absolutely, and you know, in line with the Sherlock Holmes uh, character as you mentioned, but you know, he we do learn a little more. Obviously, we're about to, but uh, we uh, up front we kind of learn that the uh, detective, by his own admission, has been studying snuff. Uh, since he was also helping Scotland Yard with a with a series of murders in Soho, so I wonder, you know, I, you know, it's it's there's a history here, I think, unless I'm unless you believe that I'm reading that wrong, which I could very well be, but <clears throat> it seems that this is almost a reference to the Ripper killings and uh, the fact that um, he may have been investing investigating them for other things before the cop died, which is clearly why he's there. Oh, so I missed that. I think I just glossed over that or didn't. Where where was, where does he say, or is that earlier? That is um, or pretty is much this... right as uh, Linda Enderby begins to talk. Um, and not a huge deal if you can't, but that's, that's, I love that if that's true, that he's kind of on their tail, but yet still has a grudging respect. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. Again, the cat and mouse kind of deal, dog and detective, I guess. Um, that's cool. I like that. I would, that doesn't sound like you're reading too much into it. I just, I just missed that completely. Yeah. I went, you know, where in the heck is the, uh, is the quote? I'm right here on the page. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's when snuff's trying to play dumb with the great detective and act like he's a normal dog still. And he keeps pressing him saying this ruse is not going to work. This ruse is not going to work. I know that you can understand everything I'm saying. and he says, I've been following you for a long time. I know a lot more about you than you think. So, Okay. Uh, yeah. I got you. I like that. I missed that, but I like it. Yeah. Um, and then they start talking about, finally, somebody's, somebody cares enough about the, uh, the stepdaughter, <laughs> Lynette, to really be excited. But she's like, it's like Snuff, that rascal who just left, is planning to murder his stepdaughter on All Hallows' Eve. You know, so finally somebody cares. <laughs> <laughs> she's been paid short shrift this whole time. Hasn't Lynette Uh, completely poor girl. She's okay. She'll be fine for now. We'll get it. We'll rescue her later. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Snuff does his paw. He does LT for Larry Taylor. Um, Larry Talbot. Talbot. Jesus. That's the second name. (laughs) Lawrence Taylor, right? That's why Lawrence Taylor hurting the quarterback. Right. Um, so he says, like, you know, basically says, you know, he's going to prevent the killing. He's like, Snuff, dude, like, I don't know if Larry's got his things out, because as we've seen and Snuff's commented on, uh, mm-hmm. the detective is interviewed. has been talking lots of plants and cuttings with uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Lawrence. So um, so that's kind of that's a fun kind of uh, just a fun moment here at the end of the chapter, I think. Yeah. And, uh, no, detective, again, mentioned some bad news for Larry and explains why he feels the need to intervene and perhaps do his duty um, 
to save this girl. I mean, he's, you know, this is a very pragmatic side of the great detective. I mean, he's like you said, I mean, there's a girl who's about to die. I know there's all this other stuff going on, but, but, you know, back here on earth, um, there's a chick who's about to get killed. Right. And uh, with, in terms of Larry Talbot, I mean, the great detective just pretty much warned snuff that, you know, it it may not work because the vicar's on to him and he's fashioned some, uh, he's melted down some silver from the, uh, from the church and he's, fashioned uh, projectiles out of it. And he's going to, it could very well kill Larry uh, Sil- silver killing the werewolf. So. That's right. I, I did not mention that. You're absolutely right. That's a huge piece of information in there. So now we know that the vicar is, is ready. Right. Right. Yeah. The vicar, the vicar, as we'll see, proves to be more and more competent than we think he is. I don't like that about him. Actually, I do like that about him, but <laughs> as far as, exactly. So we start off October 30th with another wonderful, uh, what again, info dump, basically. But it's just so, again, we want it so badly and it's so well done that it's just, you know, I highlighted this whole section. You know, yeah. it was just, <laughs> it's very matter of fact, you know, this is what's going to happen. We will remain. We'll gather at the top of the hill at midnight. You know, it just kind of keeps on going on and on like that. Mm-hmm. Um talks about the different magical items and we get, we get a lot of detail, which is what we're craving, right? Cause this thing's ending. Right. Uh, what of the, of the, of the many, many things that are here, what, what, what do you think we should highlight as the most important to kind of coming in this, this section here? Um, or is it just the overall, we just know how the rules played and I love how it's like, it's not mathematical necessarily that there's, nuance to it and personalities and psychic circuits and yeah there's that there's that i mean there's also very more mundane things like uh th- they're going to build a fire uh they're all going to help build the fire we learn more i about love that fire. yeah we learn more about the fire later on um <clears throat> that they uh, <coughs> excuse me they will stand in an arc uh position themselves and and we'll see how that plays out um but uh, and they will throw things into the fire, as you mentioned, and um, lots of rituals will begin in the attempt to, to uh, advance whichever particular side the uh, the player is on. So they're they're bringing all the stuff they've gathered to the hill that night. All this all this uh, shopping about and all this looking around is um, this is this is what it was all for. So it's going to have to do with the fire, and it's going to have to do with a lot of burning of things. So. That's right, and we uh, uh, we have officially named the the wands as well. We know that Jill holds the opening wand, and that Jack holds the closing wand. Right. And you know we'd heard about the, the wands beforehand, but now it's kind of just very much part of this litany of how things work. Uh, I love that we find out the gateway may begin to open at any time, mm-hmm. or it may await the invitation of the opening wand. So there's there's flexibility there. Resistance begins immediately. Um, and, and so it just, we kind of really, we get to understand exactly what kind of, what's going on here. Um, that we yeah. get a sense of that Jack and Snuff are, are old school pros of this as well. Another reinforcement of that kind of thing we've been inkling towards. Absolutely. A couple, a couple of little interesting details, I thought, since you asked me. Um, if, there's a, if there's a stalemate until dawn... Uh, we find out that the closers win, you know, uh, de- defense hold, holds the ball, uh, holds them, keeps them from scoring. So they, you know, the closers will win. And live in right. the um, and then um, we also find out about uh, 
some of the other magical items, uh, you know, the closing and the opening wand are the only ones that have of them by definition of persuasion, whether opener or closer, obviously is what that means. But all these other uh, <clears throat> magical items that we've heard of had inventory of throughout the story, uh, they're referred to as neutral. And that just means that regardless of the persuasion, someone can use it to advance their cause if they use it right. So I thought that was kind of a, Kind of brings us full circle on all these magical items. Uh, yeah, it makes sense why they've been being stolen, you know, why people are Absolutely. being killed and couldn't use used because they add add to the power. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, so we get this great thing, and then, but we still, Snuff is still not told uh, Larry about Linda Enderby. So Snuff goes there again to try to, uh, you know, impart this information and again can't find him and so but he smells him so he goes around back and we have larry sitting in a meditative posture eyes more than half closed barely breathing barely discernible and <laughs> i love this uh, he's like uh this last little section here larry it's me snuff hate to bother you and he's like but i hadn't <laughs> i didn't <laughs> he's so deep in this trance that you know snuff can't reach him Really, right. and then the last paragraph. So I threw my back, my head, and howled. He didn't notice, and it didn't matter that he didn't notice. It's a good thing to do when you're frustrated, right? Uh, and again, same. And the chapter stuff, same. En- the chapter ends abruptly at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Larry's deep, deep in uh, meditative trance-like state, as you said, and uh, not to be disturbed. So yeah, we'll very, see where that cool. leaves us on on All Hallows Eve, won't we? Exactly. And uh, here we are at All Hallows Eve, chapter October 31st. So the day arrived cloudy and with a small wind out of the north. Boom. We're here. Mm. I just dig it. Um, Mm. I love it. We got another moment of repose before all the big action. Greymock and Snuff, they go for a long hike. And, uh, you know, it's like she's setting up, you know, hey, look, you guys are going to be the only closers, you know, um, Good luck. <laughs> kind of like, like that she's got to be thinking, yeah. Greymock's got to be thinking that, uh, you know, that they have the upper hand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, again, you see uh, the affection that she shows toward, you know, if she were a savage, deceptive, uh, you know, figure, she would, uh, she would not say a thing. But, you know, she, you're right. It's kind of a, this might be a little rough for you guys. I'm sorry about what's going to yeah. happen, you know. Um, and, but, uh, uh the uh, I'm sorry, um, but, but do you remember the part uh, in in this chapter where she discusses how they're going to she and Jill are going to a strategy session, and that's in this chapter pretty quick on. Yeah, uh, it's exactly. That's what that's what happens. Yeah, next they go to Dog's Nest, mm-hmm. and uh, before and she, uh, yeah, that's the next thing, right? Yeah, and she says that uh, they're, she and Jill are going to a strategy session, essentially at the vicarage. And to me, that was a kind of a poignant moment because it stands to reason, as some would say, that Jill and, and Gray being uh, openers were probably on the same team theoretically as the vicar. But I hadn't, you know, when this happened in the, the first time I read it, it was like a very strange kind of unsettling feeling that they were that aligned with this repugnant person that the vicar's been presented as. <clears throat> that they were so aligned that they would go into his home for a strategy session against, you know, Jack and Snuff who are truly become, you know, have truly become her friends. So that was a little, that was a little crunchy and seedy for me, but um, I thought it was very, yeah. 
I can, I can, I can see that. It's the first time it really feels real that they, yeah, they are enemies. You know, sure they're they're best friends, and you know, who knows, maybe more. Uh, I don't know how that works. Yeah. But yeah, like, and they know. Sure, you're a closer. I'm an opener. But now we know. We really, yeah. They're he's, she's going. They're going to the vicarage for a strategy session. And holy shit, mm-hmm. it, get, it gets real, right? It does. It's not. It's not all bad for Snuff though, because uh, she indicates that uh, Jill plans to protest the human sacrifice of Lynette. Um, so that's you know that's heartening. Uh, that that's sort of a attempt to do the right thing in the face of lots of wrong things being done. Yeah, it does. And yeah. so right after that, I have a, there's a sentence here and I want to ask you about this because I, sure. and I don't know if we need to come back to it after we get to the end of this chapter or not, but, uh, she asks snuff, great milk asks snuff. You think Larry will be able to do what he plans? And we, I don't think we know explicitly what he plans at this point. And I'm wondering if that refers to just, you know, earlier he'd said in a general way that, um, yes, he wanted to rescue Lynette and that's what it is. Or if this is, or if there's more to, to this, or do we not know at this point? We don't, we don't know. We don't know at this point. Yeah. A great question. I mean, but does snuff know? And does gray Malk know? Yeah. They do. So, so we just, that was just an offstage stage. Like he does eventually get, he does get to Larry and Larry tells him what's up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, so you're talking about, did Larry disclose his full plan to snuff? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. But I guess now, the, even though as I ask it out loud, I'm remembering earlier where he talks about, yes, you know, full moon, I plan on being there, hope to stay in control to be able to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're just referring to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, but it's, but, but, Mm. No, this is a good question. I'm, I know the answer to this, and I can't think of it because I can't pinpoint the the source for what I'm thinking. Um, I, I want to say that, um, well, obviously he knows what Larry's going to do because he's talking with the great detective about it. The detective says he's worried about Lynette, and Snuff says LT writes LT in the in the dirt, saying Larry Talbot's got the rescuing of Lynette covered, basically, and then the. The great detective says there may be a problem with that, uh, you know, because of the silver bullets and the silver bolts. So, yeah, I got you. I mean. So it's not any more detailed or or, or nefar- not nefarious, but um, using subterfuge than that. Just plans no. on he'll be aware. He'll be aware of he's going to try to save Lynette and hopefully he'll maintain control through his botanical uh, infusions or whatever he's doing. Right on. I got you. So, yeah, it's really not a great question, actually. It just makes perfect sense. No, <laughs> it made me think. I was like, man, that wow, that would be another wrinkle. That <laughs> would be another wrinkle. Mm. Uh, so this is, and this follows another very interesting part here. Greymock asks Snuff to arrange himself at a particular spot in the ceremony. And I thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want you to stand near you in the in the ark. I believe the vicar will be at the left end. Morris McCabe, Tequila, Nightwind. I will stand to her right. I will assume a position three paces forward. Again, very, very specific. That would put you and Jack beside us. I've been working for this arrangement. You must be to my right and slightly back. That is to Jack's left. So that's kind of interesting. That definitely, like, I was like, okay, Greymonk's got something going on here. Because uh, yeah. Jack doesn't seem to understand. I mean, Snuff doesn't seem to understand why. Mm-mm. No, you're right. And um, what is she up to is the question that must be running through Snuff's head, despite his feelings. 
Um, but yeah, she, she knows something's going on and she's got a proposition and she certainly makes it sound appealing and like it's done out of the goodness of her heart. But, you know, do we know this for sure? Can a dog trust a cat, Michael Al? We don't know. We don't know. And I love how Zelazny has snuff. Think about the cat in the dream world. Kind of go over that. And then I like this reason stopped here. I knew I had to trust my feelings. I'll yep. do it. Yep. That's kind of cool. Quite cool. That's a great way to resolve this brief brief dilemma in his, in his uh, conscience. Uh, he takes the leap of faith and he's, you know, the right brain wins, you know, the heart wins out over the brain in this, in this uh, particular situation. Or maybe not. Maybe it's the logical thing to do too. But anyway, yeah, he takes that leap of faith. Yeah, so that's cool. But it's also just again in the in your reader's mind, we're like, okay, can we really trust this cat? Right. I don't know. Uh, so Snuff then tries to find Larry again, can't find him, starts to go home and runs into Quicklime, who, oh my gosh, you know, generations of alcoholics. <laughs> He's taken after his master. Yeah. He's been eating the the whatever, what do you call it? The fermented. chemical process fermented, thank you. The fermented fruit, having some drinks, uh, and very, very interesting um, revelation here. Oh, um, yeah. Unbelievably significant. Here, here, this was a big one, huh? Right? So, um, so Quicklime kind of says, you know, he's, he's had a few, a few drinks and has been on a bender, apparently, from what he says. <laughs> but um, he's, talking to, he's talking to Snuff and he's casually talking about how um, uh, the vicar killed Rastoff because he wanted to narrow the field because Rastoff was obviously a closer. And then he just says uh, very casually, as I said, and the count killed Owen. Uh, to eliminate an opener, <laughs> and uh, it's a it's a the what the, what you know, and it's a it's a pretty witty thing, I believe. Snuff says something about I think you've had one too many. Quick, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you've had too much. Because <laughs> right, right. count's dead, brother. Count's dead, and uh, wrong o, right? Right. Yeah. So what happened? What did the counts? What did they do? Well, I mean, we were making fun of his minions, the gypsies. For not we getting, were. <laughs> yeah, I know, for not standing guard and uh, letting him get staked. But it turns out this whole time the gypsies have had him uh, under their watch very safely and very, uh, very closely. And he uh, uh, the count is sleeping in a coffin there in one of the gypsy wagons in the gypsy camp uh, camp. And they uh, they guard the count when he's sleeping at night and when he's out uh, when he's sleeping during the day and when he's out and about at night, they guard the casket. So. They've been doing their they've been doing yeoman's work, these gypsies have. They have they're yeah. And Snuff was just there. Just yep. there and, and, and missed it. So yeah, that's Party. so good. That's it, right. So the count still has the ring, but it makes perfect sense that we would think that it would be stolen. Uh and of course I love that like Snuff, you know, the ever busy accountant slash tracker of of, of lines. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wait 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 this happened this happened after right the new man right like yeah yeah it's fine it's fine he's like I do not want to do this shit again <laughs> right. can't you sense the desperation he's like don't fucking tell me I've got to go do all this again please please don't tell me this <laughs> exactly yeah. he's in the clear though right yeah, yeah. so and I, I forgot to say this is this is is it, this is Booba who tells the story of Quicklime or no? no 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 I heard him slither off yeah. I got confused here a second, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so so he runs into Bubo at the end of this scene. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Now, but Quick, Quick Lime is talking about the the uh, the, the killing um, 
as I understand, as quickly I'm talking about um, the Count Kelly Owen and uh, telling, I thought it was him telling all that stuff. And then, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 I, and I and because, up. you know, Snuff naturally asked the question as to whether the, uh, the Count's persuasion might be revealed by these past actions. And, and uh, Quicklime quickly says, I can't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah. So. It yeah. may or may not be significant that the count killed uh, killed whomever he killed, that he killed Owen. So. Right. And so then Quicklime slithers off. He says, I'm officially, uh, I'm really out of the game. I'm done. Uh, out of here. Uh, and then he runs into Bubo. And Pooh Bubo again is like, you know, I wish, you know, I wish, uh, I wish I could have been playing all along. I wish that my pretend thing that I was doing was actually a reality. I want to be in the game. And, you know, Snuff is just like, Look, you've done important things. You know, you've traded information. You you would have been a good game player. You did a great job. Um, but and and you know, Bubo's again like I want. I didn't really do important things like the rest of you. And uh, Snuff's response, I just kind of love because it's a good philosophy in life. I think uh, rather than going for all the grand gestures all the times, <laughs> he's like, it's mainly the little things all added up that give us the final picture that make the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a nice reminder for a reader to hear. Yeah, that, very much so. And, and it makes sense in the context of this whole game because you've got these unbelievably, you know, cosmically talented people on each side, even though the openers are having a rough run of it, apparently. Um, but yeah, so what what's going to tip the scales, right? And, and Snuff indicates that, like you said, the little things do indeed add up. So. Yep, and so then uh, Bubo asks if he can come along as a civilian, and Snuff's like, "Nope, <laughs> like we got yep. too much to worry about. We can't protect you. Not gonna happen." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And so then we are in our final little section. We got a little asterisk, so it's marked, and this is the the last kind of part. Um, and what? again, uh, go ahead. May Please. I ask you a question? Do you yeah. literally have asterisks in your version of this book? Yeah, yeah, there's li- yeah. the section is literally broken up. You know, sometimes they'll just do like a couple of, you know, a couple of indentions, but this at least this digital version that I have oh, ha- I has has an area marked off with uh an asterisk. Okay. Well, how That's is it in the in the printed version? Is it just oh, a, a double double paragraph or is it just same or what? Uh I believe it may be a double paragraph in this particular instance. I don't remember. I but, gotcha. um, it's, there's nothing to denote. There's nothing like an asterisk or anything of that nature. So. I gotcha. Uh, either way, though, we are we are in the final final uh, section here, and uh, talks about Jack and uh, Snuff, and they're walking up, and they're not the first ones there. I kind of expected them to be the first ones there, but they're not, are they? Who's there? They're not. Um, the vicar and Morrison McCab are, are there, and uh, it seems Morrison McCab really assume and the, the rest of the, they seem to be more flunkies of the vicar than we had, we had initially thought, but uh, they're there and they're fanning a fire. So it all starts with the fire, right? Exactly. The Bane fire. Correct. We, which is we learn a little bit about that Bane fire, right? Exactly. We do. Uh, it's really kind of cool. And there's this long, wonderful section. Again, again, another info dump. I get when you're info dumping the shit we want to hear and the information <laughs> we didn't know, it doesn't right. matter. You know, it doesn't matter. Right. You're right. <laughs> if it's graceful or not, but but this is graceful. Again, this is another passage where you know we're like, you know, uh, we're giving the information, but we're also doing just setting it up so kind of wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, 
and we talked about we, they talk about like things that have happened. Like there are times when players have been attacked by the flames. Uh, he says he can recall an instance when one was defended by a sudden wall of fire that it issued. So that's yep. kind of cool. Uh, we're getting a lot of good information here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the Bane fire burns in two worlds and both sides require the Bane fire and it attracts neutral spirits that may be persuaded to take just lots of cool stuff happens here. Like you were, like, that you were discussing. It's a, uh, it's a, it's just an elemental man, an elemental thing. We talked about water earlier, but fire is obviously massive in this whole affair. Completely. And we can just picture it on top of that hill that they've been on. Cause we've, we've gotten descriptions of this hill several times now, so we can kind of see it and it's up high. You know, we're looking down, we've got the flames, we've got the crazy sky coming on. It's good stuff. Perhaps. We, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no please. I, I was going to, this is might annoy you. I'm sorry. And if it annoys the readers, but this is perhaps, uh, this is perhaps a pretty overt nod to Lovecraft too, uh, to HP Lovecraft. Um, one of his stories, uh, my, one of my favorite stories by him, anyway, involves all these rituals on Sentinel Hill. And, and the, the imagery you get from that is very much like this. Now, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft doesn't have the, uh, the copyright on rituals on top of hills. I mean, that's, been, that's as ancient <laughs> as it can be, right? But anyway, I thought it, was, it, it reminded me very much of one of my favorite stories by him. So, yeah. You know, that's right. awesome. Just if furthering the homage and putting it in there. It's one of those things that if, if I you know, knew more Lovecraft, that I would even, even enjoy this even more. Do you remember the name of the short story? I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's some recommendation yeah. for others. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it, this is one of my two very favorites by him. It's called the Dunwich Horror, and Dunwich is spelled D-U-N-W-I-C-H. Um, the Dunwich Horror. I, I don't know if my drawl affects my pronunciation. <laughs> H-O-R-R-O-R. is a very hard word to say. Horror, horror. mirror. <laughs> Rural. Horror. Yeah. The Dunwich Horror. That's what it's from. It's great. It's, I mean, if you want to start diving into H.P. Lovecraft, read, go ahead and read that. And I would also be the world's worst podcaster if I did not follow up by asking you what your favorite story is. My two favorites by him are The Dunwich Horror and uh, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, I-N-N-S-M-O-U-T-H, which are very popular stories of his. But I'm not going to, you know, you know me well enough. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to favorite something else just because it's the cooler thing to do (laughs) or because it cuts against the grain. Those are great stories. They are my favorite and they have been since I read them. Yeah, I don't see you uh, putting on airs. It's really that's really lesser Lovecraft. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I go for the the deep cut that uh, only was recorded because somebody had a uh, illicit recording device at CBGB's. So you know whatever, exactly. Whatever, and, and and Michael, you know, you trust me. I know you already know those people are out there. <laughs> those are. Lovecraft people are out there. <laughs> Those are the people asking girls if they have a Rolling Stone shirt on, like to name 10 Rolling Stone songs or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Bullshit like right. that. Right. Uh, so we're, we're talking about the Bane fire. We have, uh, <laughs> I love this example of talking about it. Everybody's bringing, bringing wood for it. We're putting it together. We're working together. We've got our other stuff that we put in there for our own special stuff to help us. And he's like, I had urinated on one of the sticks, for example, several days earlier. <laughs> Snuff like talking about like his part of his contribution, which I, I think is pretty great. Well, you know, Michael, we've already been told that it's the little things that count. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then later, you know, we'll get to this where he puts his stick in the thing. I'm like, oh man, he put his mouth on his own pee in that. But like, <laughs> maybe he just knocked it with his paw. You know. I don't, <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a good point. I mean, uh, <laughs> stuff's a pretty sophisticated canine. I think he probably knocked it with his paw, quite frankly. Yeah, let's let's go let's go with that one. Yeah, sure. So, so we're we're back in scene after this information. We have Lynette, who's now she's on the altar. She's drugged. She's wearing a long white, you know, dress that you can just picture from all the ritual sacrifices that we've been to in our past. Uh, you have the fire brightly, and we're kind of we're kind of starting things now. And this, the next thing I have highlighted that it was interesting is when the vicar goes and says, "I will position myself here." Mm-hmm. So I'm coming back to Greymawk, telling uh, telling Snuff where to be, and I'm like, okay, well, where they are is really apparently going to matter, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, and the, the vicar announcing this, and it's just such an in such a haughty fashion too. It just seems to me, just I just can't, I can't stand that guy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I shall assume this position, and you're right. It, the, the configuration is is in play in our minds right now. And what's this all about? The spatial yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then he's telling the rest of them where to go. And I did not, as a lazy reader, lazy podcaster too, I guess, uh, I did not go back and verify that the order that uh, the vicar puts them in right now is the same order that uh, Greymock said they were going to be in. I presume that if it was a big deal, if they weren't in that same order, that Zelazny would have given us a little sign or a signal to that, that something's different and matters. That is absolutely my view as well. So. Yeah, um, I think it's all it's all good. Yeah, I like the uh, then everybody else is kind of arriving now. We got Tequila coming. We got Nightwind. I like how Tequila and Snuff just kind of ignore each other and don't talk to each other. And I like how Nightwind they have just you know like a you know a nod like a Boba Fett nod <laughs> like you know to <laughs> that kind of thing. Just another sign of respect kind of deal. Right. Um. And is then it- I had a go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I love the casual conversation. I don't know if you were going to get to that between Nightwind, the Owl, and and Snuff, and they ask each other to switch sides. (laughs) They kind of politely decline. It's just you know the little interplay with people with characters we hadn't seen in a while. But go ahead. Exactly. Like like care to switch? No thanks. Yourself? No, 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 thank you. Especially when we outnumber you all. Like yeah, that's that's right. That's right. That's right. That's pretty gross. So then we have Jill and Greymawk entering, and so we we've been waiting for them. Uh, I was curious about what, you know, their demeanor was going to be like, if they were just going to be, you know, gung-ho, hardcore, you know, fuck y'all, this is game time. Uh, but at least they were like, you know, they were nice and polite and, and they had, they talked, which was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so like, she's like, yeah, we didn't, we were overridden on the, uh, the, the right. ritual sacrifice. And did you find Larry? No, you know. And so, but this is where he said, this is another question I had here. Um, and I don't know what this refers to, but again, I might be reading too much into things again, where uh, Snuff says, there's a backup plan. And Nightwood came by just to greet Greymock, so he doesn't get to talk anymore about the backup plan. But I don't know what, I don't know what the backup plan is referring to. But again, I don't have to know. This could be just him and Jack talking, you know, but it's, it's talking about Larry it comes right after them talking about Larry. So I just didn't know if you had any insight on on what the backup plan would be. Well, in in my view, it's clearly revealed uh, later on in this chapter. Um, okay, so so okay, I just it was my. We'll, we'll get to that, and we'll, we'll come back to this point then because I'll have a question. Sure. Yeah, I I love it if I'm wrong because man, I'd love to learn something that I've been looking at wrong. So well, that's the only thing that makes sense. I just 
yeah, yeah. I think that that's the only thing that makes sense. That's what I, um, that's what I've always assumed it to be. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So then another another uh, snuff being a dog. I felt a strong desire to howl at the moon. It was such a howlable moon, <laughs> but I, res- I restrained myself. <laughs> I dig it. Oh gosh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, so we start at this point. We start uh, snuff. Also, here's the howl of a wolf at this point in the distance. Yes, exactly. Drop in there. Yeah, You're exactly right. It was just like kind of one line. Oh, we have, yeah, we actually haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but yeah, that's exactly exactly right. We so he talks about uh, well, they talk about so when does it start? And of course, Grey Mouse taxing Snuff because Snuff's been around the block, as we know, he's like the 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 dust from the earth ever. And it's like <laughs> when we can talk to our guys or we talk to our people, which is cool, you know. So he's like, Jack, can you hear me? <laughs> oh yeah, he's <laughs> like loud and clear, Snuff. I know, well met by moonlight. Well met. That's such a great phrase for this. Very, you know. Uh, it is. It is. It's, it's very appropriate for this this story. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like just checking the time, and so then then right after his, we had just one line from somewhere to the north. I heard the howl of a wolf, right. and so we're like, all right, it could be uh, LT getting ready. We'll see. Uh, could be. Uh, so then they kind of all get in position. Um, Lynette's there. She's on the altar. And the vicar removes the pinnacle bowl, which he placed on the ground before him. And he withdrew the Alhazred icon. Mm-hmm. So he's got all these, like, basically like, whipping out his big guns. Yeah, that, he, that he's stolen from people he murdered, right? Completely. So it's just, yeah. like, all laid out now. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. And, of course, Jack's getting ready. It's like almost like a Western, like he's drawing his gun. He's opening his satchel up wider, mm-hmm. you know, for easy access. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and, Snuff makes an interesting comment about that when he when he says that the the work of a closer is purely reactive. That just goes ex- with exactly what you were just saying. Now <laughs> that imagery, right? Of just yeah, loosening the holster, maybe unsnapping it. Yeah, exactly. Gonna wait and see what happens. Right. But the and um, but we do get one other little uh, weapon here. We've get we get a sacrificial knife. Mm-hmm. So and he places this upon the cloth, pointed toward the altar. So like. All right, we're really beginning now. We've got stuff going on. We're about to uh, sacrifice. Yep. Um, and then what happens? Oh, Lord. <laughs> My God, what happens? This is so cool. Guess who arrives on the scene? Uh, who, who? <laughs> in, in very count-like fashion, the count arrives. And uh, he's, he's, you know, a shape in the air. And then he's like a wind, wind like, what I can't remember the description exactly. But, but before, uh, before we know it, he's there and he's standing right next to Jack. And, yeah, uh, I, I, do, I do want to read this one sentence real quick. It, it is so gorgeous. And then the moon shone again, and a piece of midnight sky, which had fallen, came to earth beside Jack. And I saw that vision-twisting transformation of which Greymock had spoken. Here, there, a twist, a swirl, a dark bending. And the Count stood at Jack's side, smiling a totally evil smile. He laid his left he laid his left hand, the dark ring visible upon it, upon Jack's right shoulder. I stand with him, he said, to close you out. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Talk about uh, the cavalry arriving, right? Man. Completely. Much, much help. 
Good Lord. I was so bummed that the count was out so quickly, you know, and like, know, right? you know, this is the moment I wanted. I, I remember you talking about that and that was really hard for me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you did it an excellent awesome. job. Like, hey, he was kind of an insignificant character. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly how I was thinking. I mean, yeah. So, so cool. And then we get, uh, we go into the, um, the, to the ceremony a little more. And I like, uh, it talks about, uh, they describes, as Lassie describes uh, the vicar, he spoke a word of power deeply, slowly. It hung in the air and resonated afterwards. And then we have things reacting, you know, like the stone is starting to light up. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what else happens here. And then, and I want you to tell me a little more about this. I did a little bit of research on my own on this, but I want to hear it from you. They start chanting and mm-hmm. Snuff hears faith of, uh, faintly, Aye Shub Nigarath, being mm-hmm. repeated as if in response. Uh, so what is that? Because that's the mm-hmm. reference, right? It is. So right after we hear another wolf howl, we, we hear the chants of uh, Shub Nigarath. Uh, he is, he is an extraordinary, she, I'm sorry, this is, she is a feminine deity in the, uh, or elder God in the Lovecraft universe. Um, so she, th- she's called, uh, what is her, I'm going to tell you what her nickname is. Oh, uh, it's the, uh, black goat of the woods with a thousand young. And it's, uh, she gives birth to a lot of significant semi deities and, and semi elder gods in, in the, in the. Oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, bestiary, uh, the Lovecraft bestiary. Who, who's related to who? And she's she's really a mother figure, an evil, evil mother figure, um, in the uh, in the Lovecraft universe. And anyway, if you you you'll catch upon her quick if you start reading the uh, Dunwich Horror as a starting point for Lovecraft. But uh, this is a nasty Lovecraftian deity that's got tentacles and eyes all over the place and. You know, it's it's mad, and it's just uh, is that's a direct reference, yeah. Shubnagurth. So this is like so. These elder gods are not like uh, Moses, you know, coming in. They're like at least this one is a a creature. Oh yeah, a love love craftian creature. That yeah, is, uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, they manifest themselves physically, so and they're always terrifying, right? Yeah. And so we got other magic happening. The Alhazrad icon is beginning to glow. Um, stuff's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're about to, I think we're about to uh, sacrifice the virgin, right? Correct. Correct. The vicar uh, brandishes that about- sacrificial knife you spoke of and moves toward her. Yep. Yeah. And then we have another, if, if it wasn't cool enough having Count Dracula come down, we have another. Uh, dark shape moving towards them and it is Larry Talbot has arrived and is as the Zelazny says apparently in reasonable control of his faculties mm-hmm. so he's starting to try to rescue uh Lynette mm-hmm. but we know the vicar has a gun and we know that the vicar has silver bullets uh and so what happens well, uh, you know, Larry grabs Lynette and starts backing up as he as he did with the uh, body of the Bobby that impressed Snuff so much, his strength and all. So he begins backing up with Lynette, getting her out of harm's way, and uh, gunshots ring. So, yeah, and it's can, just good writing. I'm sorry, don't interrupt. But it's just again, it's it's treating your reader with respect and good writing that we he's we've seen 
Larry Talbot and Wolf Form do this before. Like this isn't some like new skill he can do. You know, we know he can do this. It's established. Mm-hmm. You know, which is just so important for you know the believability in the world. Yeah, it, it's very artful. It's very artfully done. You're right. That's that's an elegant little piece piece of a uh, piece of putting a story together there. I agree. So he shoots him. The vicar shoots him. Shoots Larry repeatedly. Um, and it it uh, he drops Lynette, and he's kind of out of commission for the time being at this point. And the vicar says, like, get her back on the altar. So I guess where she is, the altar does matter. And then, and I thought this was funny, but good, what happens? What, what does the count do next? <laughs> or the, count, the count takes the vicar to task for breaching etiquette. Uh, he just comes in and says, you can't do that. You, you, you can't be doing what you're doing because it's, uh, it's uh, against the rules to, what does he call it? Uh, trans, uh to, to move, a, move sacrifice. a sacrifice. That's correct. Yeah. To, so you can't you can't do that. You can't move a sacrifice once you <laughs> started this. You know, that would let you just do whatever you want willy nilly. No, no, no. And uh, of course, the vicar, the vicar, you know, of course, doesn't believe him. And, uh, and I don't know if you remember this, Stan. I don't know why I remember this. This was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a fight, and. After the fight, I remember somebody telling the story. There's, I don't want to use anybody's name, but there was a guy, a really big dude, really was, was was big for college, even before like everybody's big now in college, I think. But like, and he was after like during the fight, like he went up to a dude and like pointed his finger in his face and was like, "You keep doing this, and we're gonna sue you based on blah blah blah." Or like it wasn't sue or like have, or there's some like he quoted some, uh, you know, arcane like regulation or a code or whatever in the disagreement. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he was the biggest dude like we had. <laughs> and I remember somebody told him, that's what this is. This is Count Dracula. You know, fucking <laughs> blood is just like, uh uh uh, regulations, regulations. That's right. That's right. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm cracking up inside <laughs> right now. Yeah. So uh, sorry about that. I just hooped a little bit. But uh, that was good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Count, the count calls it. Oh, no, no, no. Not so fast. Not so fast. Uh, you can't move a sacrifice. Um, Jack, Jack bolster Jack comes to you know, agrees with him completely and says he's right. He's absolutely right. You can't you can't do that. It, it you know has bad repercussions and etc. But Vicar being the vicar, he calls this a closer's bluff. That's he's not right. Be fooled by this closer's bluff that are this ruse uh, perpetrated by the count and Jack. So. And the count's line here is so great. Like the count stepped forward as they advanced. In a case such as this, he said, the opposing parties are permitted to resist the desecration. So, boom, we got we got the count is ready to rumble. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. You see the slow build now. It started with the with the citing of the rule, and but you know, of course, was bound to go further than that. Let's see, let's see what the rule is and who's going to enforce it. But you're right, he's game. He's down. He's he, he's ready. He's ready to rumble, as you said. Right, and we get a little quick mention of just clumping footsteps in the distance right before Zelazny has the count uh, go uh, and kill Morrison McCab mm-hmm. in a terrifying way. I love it. Uh, you know, just completely mysterious and powerful. His cloak, uh, completely engulfing the men within its folds. He stood thus only for an instant, arms across his chest, before a succession of snapping sounds could be heard. 
Mm-hmm. Not only is that fun alliteration with a succession of snapping sounds, it is just creepy as hell to think about. Agreed on both counts. Those uh, the the smashing of bones, even in horror movies, is still just kind of gruesome to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. The crunch, oh, crunch. Yeah. yeah, and so it is. So he he kills them in a terrifying way, and the vicar's just like, "You dare to touch my people." Mm-hmm. And the counts you presume to address me so. So I, I just I obviously we've we've talked about this several times. The motif of this like kind of badasses recognizing badasses, but also just you know the power, the A players and going yeah. at each other is just so lovely. Yeah. 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 The, the Vicar is obviously game too. So. Completely. And you know, mm-hmm. you, you talked, you teased earlier a little bit about how we're going to, we're going to realize the Vicar's got game and the Vicar does have game. This was really right. cool. How does he, how, what does he do to the count? The count moves toward the Vicar. This is what happens. And the Vicar throws something at him. We don't know what it is. And, uh, but it really affects the count in a bad way. Immediately starts to stumble and ultimately falls while trying to figure out what's going on. And so he asks, you know, uh, like Scooby Doo kind of a thing. He, he, what, what have you done to hurt me? You know, what is this thing that you've thrown at me? And of course, the vicar just explains exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of a real man. It's an out there kind of a theory in terms of like um, good versus evil sci-fi and fantasy but it's basically this it's it's his own it's the count's own soil gotten from his coffin probably and but they but the vicar has done is he has over consecrated the soil so <laughs> so he blessed it so much that it's an overdose and it will adversely affect the count um in a way that i think the vicar compares to a a Therapeutic dose of strychnine versus a lethal dose. That's the difference between consecrated soil that the that the count needs and over consecrated soil. So he's he's poisoned some soil and it has a horrible effect on the count. Exactly. I just think that is so cool. You know, the the you know the difference between a poison and a medicine is the dosage. And the fact that it's a relic, you know, and relic meaning actual body part of a saint. Uh, just makes it even cooler to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All that. Yeah, I know. It's very cool. So it's truly holy stuff, like in terms of uh, dogma and in terms of, uh, you know, the the procedures of the of the Anglican Church or whatever. Um, exactly. He's truly and, he's truly being a vicar at that point. Right. <laughs> completely. And, and, and as this is happening and this is so great, I think on the Zelazny's part here of just kind of mixing in different actions within the description uh, when he talks about when the vicar's hand is, you know, coming out from the cloak, uh, shielded by the vicar's view from the count's body, the stranger wolf entered the firelight and took hold of a Lynette's shoulder and continued what Larry had begun, dragging her back into the darkness. So we have the stranger wolf who Snuff met, you know, back in the day and was like, hey, man, you know, you don't want to be near here. Some crazy shit's going down, you know, and the wolf with this, the wolf we referred to is just like the good dude, you know, hanging out, the good Mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But who is it in this wonderful reveal? Well, it's so, so it turns out that the stranger wolf is actually the great detective. Boom. I mean, come on. I I did not see that coming. (laughs) I did not see that coming at all. And it it said, it's set up so well in the way uh, the way Snuff describes it. I just witnessed the great detective's greatest disguise yet. Yep. Yep. Um, Fantastic. 
Yeah. Um, that, that that really the first time I read it, that truly that truly was a twist. I mean, that really that made me cackle out loud, like, oh, okay. Did not see that coming. Uh, I had well, the biggest well smile on my face. It's yeah. so well done. It's yeah, so great. It's and I love the well done into the night and later a good luck. Right. So, so he, he was there he was uh, there to save Lynette, and by God he did. He did indeed. He did indeed. Um but it's not over. But it's mm-hmm. not over. Yeah, we got a lot to go on still, right? <laughs> That's right. Nothing nobody's opened or closed anything at this point. Correct. So <laughs> This part, I've I've got many many questions, <laughs> and so I would okay. love some uh, whatever you have going on here. So the vicar is going to continuing the spell again, like we we'd heard earlier, the, the uh, ritual sacrifice was not needed uh, to actually open right. you know, the portal. Yep. So I guess he wanted it for extra power, but um, but so he resumes back on. So he's like, you know, he repeats the word of power. And immediately his face became the snouted, tusked visage of a boar with a shredded ear. So the shredded ear is his previous injury. So we know it's still him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it says this lasted for a while by Larry's eyes. Because Larry's going to be kind of making progress, not quite dead as this is all going on. But what is going on? What the hell is this? Um, you know, uh, mm, so hard take here. Uh so it's very, it's a very uh, trippy kind of a scene, right? And I know what you're talking about. There, there's this this litany of transformations that are occurring. One person looks like a demon. The next, they look like a, a rabbit. Then they have the head of a lion. Then Jack has the head of a boar. And then there seem there's then uh, Larry Talbot suddenly looks like a man instead of a wolf. And and you know just all these shifting. And it's rotating around, right? There, it's like they're yes. actual like it's part of like who they are is kind of moving. And I just was wondering if these are just lots of references I wasn't getting. No, no, but, but I think there's a reference that a lot of people might not get. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. So twice it's mentioned uh, about this locale and where the ritual is going to happen. Uh, this um, abundance of mushrooms. And um, it's, it's said before this, and then it's on the tail end of this happening. It said, so I don't know if that was a, a, a quiet nod to, you know, psilocybin laced mushrooms or maybe an implication that they may have involved these in a ritual. And we've heard a lot about that, you know, lately about various substances being used in ancient uh, rites. And uh, but anyway, the thing is, to me, I always just d- discounted that as just a really trippy, like just kooky. Things are going nuts, you know. And then but then the mushroom thing kind of made me think, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think that there's any um, iconic significance for the images that you're seeing other than what they mean to you. As you mentioned, like with the torn ear, we know it's him. And, you know, there are various subtleties, but there's nothing, uh, nothing systematic that I can peg. Okay. So I was wondering, that was one question I had. And then another one I had was because they are rotating like heads around and bodies around like one thing I was trying to keep track of, but I I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's important, but I'm this, that's, I guess this is my question to you is like, is the, where they were positioned like important? Cause I feel like it could have been important. Like if they are rotating heads and then later in the opposite direction, rotating torsos, like is where they are in this circle. Uh, does that matter? But I don't think it does. Mm, um, well, you know, uh, there was certainly method to them positioning themselves in the arc the way they did, you know, down to 
Graymock telling Snuff that he and Jack need to be in this certain position. So, um, but you wonder if it's related to what you've talked about, right? And of course, the count shows up and kind of might screw up any of those calculations. The for the you know where this rotation of, of abstract images and faces and animal where, where they land, what body they land on, right? I think that's what you're getting at. So, I guess that's my question: is I, I, I haven't seen the payoff yet from where they are positioned being important unless this is the payoff and if but i still didn't really get the payoff exactly like if he had been in another position would something have happened differently Mm. kind of thing if it was that kind of thing or not right um i i have yet to glean that but i am i am far from perfect so yeah yeah yeah. no i just again i don't i just I, I didn't, you didn't have to have an answer. <laughs> I was just wondering. No, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. An awesome thought process though. I mean, of cracking a code for what's going on. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, but you know, it, 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 you're right. And there's this, this, they're the rotating, the rotating effects you were talking about. That does make me think twice about it. Yeah. Um, All right. So that was just, oh yeah, we, that was just curious about that. We can, uh, we can keep going. Cause we got some more crazy stuff happening. Like they can see themselves like in a mirror with this yeah. like kind of haziness kind of going on, which is cool. The moon had gone blood red and was dripping upon us. Love that imagery. How cool is that? That uh-huh. that makes mushroom sense. Um, right. You're talking about shooting stars and all this kind of stuff. Um, do we have the, do we have the, uh, I guess we don't have the, uh, the tentacles yet, do we? No, do we no, have- because at this point is, uh, this when everything gets quiet and Jack and Snuff know, it's time for the opening again. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yes. I felt the familiar tingling in the air. The time had come for the opening. Uh, that's, that's, that's lovely. Uh, so we got the, what do we have going on here now? The vicar takes the icon, mm-hmm. puts it on the count's chest. Uh, and the ring that shut down the ring. Cause the count tried to do something with the ring, right? Yeah. It, his hand, his hand twitches and, uh, Snuff sees it, but so is hell does the vicar. So, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So he takes prompt action to try and uh, you know neutralize this whole count with his ring thing, and he uses. You're right. He uses other magical items. Um, so he uses the icon to pretty much pull the power from the the count's ring. I mean, he uses the uh, the pentacle to what seems like pu- almost drain the count's ring of power based on the description. Right, and and then he uh, then he takes the icon and places it on the count's chest, and um, almost a, almost a binding. It seems like you know when you bind supernatural creatures, whether witches with silver chains or you know. Yeah, that's how I I took that too. I, I I don't think they go into great detail, but they make a point of telling that it's on the chest, and later they make a point of telling that it's off him. Right, it gets knocked off. Correct. Yeah. And we have uh, this, I think you alluded to this earlier, we have Snuff saying, you know, talking about the vicar, that he was much better at this business than I'd have guessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the vicar commands Jill to use the wand. Yep. Yep. And so Jack reacts and begins to use his wand. So we have those two friends down to it, down to it right now, uh, in the thick of things, diametrically opposed in purpose, um, using opposite wands. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you, at this point, I think to me, I sort of grasped the significance of Jack's role as such a, such a big player. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, he's wielding the damn primary weapon, you know, the closing one, the primary weapon that 
anybody, and I'm sure he always wields that. I mean, based on what we've heard about the curse, et cetera. So, you know, he's always the man uh, when the, all these gatherings happen. He's the one who's got the closing line. So I thought that was uh, that was kind of neat. But we see Jill, you know, he and Jill pitted against each other. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I love that. Uh, I love Jack's stature in this. Uh, so the fire is growing. The the chants that are like on the other fire, like in the other realms of the, you know, hail to the black goat is mm-hmm. getting louder. Mm-hmm. Music's getting louder. And then we have uh, <laughs> the experiment man coming up <laughs> on the hill. <laughs> Join the like, party, right? What? <laughs> it's the last chapter. Join the party. <laughs> Completely. We're going to get everybody. And then I love this because he's just like, hey, pretty kitty. And he yeah. wants to go pet Greymonk again. Yep, yep. And uh, ca- carries her carries her out of the ark where she's situated, <laughs> and uh, to go over and just pet her for a while. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just standing so standing things on their head, and he has utterly no clue whatsoever about this. He's just petting the kitty. <laughs> Co- completely, completely. Right. Uh, and again, uh, Zelazny does a good job of keeping us updated on Larry. Earlier, he had Larry began dragging himself further along. Now we have Larry continued his crawl, steady now. So Larry's Larry's down, but not out and uh, moving forward. And then we have another, <laughs> another party crasher. Uh, and I think this is just lovely. Uh, we have Bubo. Bubo's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bubo, Bubo shows up in Jack's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, uh, this pro- he proves to play such a significant role as we find out right now. Right. So. Um, exactly. He, had, he said he, he had to come and see this, but he says he may have made a mistake because he, Attempted to um, skew things in in the favor of the uh, of the closers by doing by performing a strategic maneuver that he's really regretting now, and <laughs> he told no one about. <laughs> no one about. No one about. He just figured he, you know, you know maybe that's his arrogance. Uh, maybe he thinks he's a lot smarter than he is because of all the compliments he's been getting about. <laughs> he's got this whole thing figured out without being involved. But uh, yeah, he just decides what he's decided is going to be the way to go and it's going to dictate things and what what has he done he's switched the damn wands um that's right it's crazy he has switched the wands and right after he says like uh yeah to learn whether i'd done what was right and we don't know what that is yet and then we have our we have a tentacle extended from the dark so i want to i want to get that in because i like how he's balancing larry the tentacle the conversation with bubo yeah like all everything's going on and he's just it's late it's so clear Yep. Like we can follow it. It's really hard to do and lovely. Uh, he's like, I'm a pack rat. I thought you're outnumbered and outgunned. I wanted your side to win. So I did the only thing I know how to do. And yeah, switching the wands. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, it's like I, a, kam- a kamikaze move. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're clearly going to get waxed in this thing. Snuff it. So all I can do is try and sabotage the, uh, the openers, sabotage the enemy. And that's right. So, the- yeah. Uh, and we, we get the tentacles actually get uh, Morris and Macab. Uh, this is slurping sounds followed again. Lovely S alliteration and uh, just, you know, crazy, creepy shit. Uh, uh, there's a mass of tentacles now writhing towards the gateway. Uh, while Bubo, all this is while Bubo is explaining right. uh, what happened uh, with the switching the wands. And then we have a lo- lovely, lovely callback to their uh Greymock and Snuff's time in the dream world, right? Yep. Yeah. So well tell done. me tell me what happens. Yeah. So uh 
at this point, you know, what we have is, is Jack's using the wrong one. You know, Jack, Jack is trying to open things uh, unbeknownst to him. So snuff this callback you're speaking of snuff, you know, psychically realize or however he realizes, uh, uh, he recalls his time with the great purring one, in the, <laughs> the, the, the cat deity. And, she was really busting his balls. Uh, so he thought with this whole carpe baculum thing, which meant go fetch a stick. He realizes at that moment that she was not saying go fetch a stick. She was saying seize the wand. And uh, that's and that, that was the context of that statement. You know, it could be taken. It's the same words, but of course, you know how that how Latin is, as you remember. It's Completely. Important. And what yeah. is a wand made of? It's made of a stick. You know, exactly. it's wood. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so he does, you know, just on that alone, he, he leaps and snatches the wand out of Jack's hand. Yeah. It was neat. That's, it is neat. It was talking <laughs> about things I definitely didn't see coming. And I went back and kind of reread it to the, the section like the, you know, does it make sense? But yeah, cause it, they told us earlier in one of the info dumps again, which is not the info dump in the bad way that, you know, they can open, opening can start without the wand before the wand. Right is doing anything, so that all makes sense logically. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just really fun. Yeah, I think he does a pretty good job of tying up most of the holes. That's since we're it, at the end here, but yeah, well, I think that's yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. So it talks about him. Uh, <laughs> we have one little I don't know Marvel movie moment where Jack like he throws the the slitherers in that are trapped in the the wine bottle. Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget our friends, the Slitherers. I mean, we've been, you know, they've been our comic relief this whole time, and they're they're actually being used now. Uh, yeah. Deliver once again any port in a storm. That, that's Jack right. observes with the port so. bottle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, then this is a cool moment here. This is we have a little bit of a. I don't know. Redemption is not the right word, but we have. Yeah, I, I don't know. You are, you know, the beats of a love story. One of the last beats of love stories, a, a, a unselfish act of love, right? Uh, you know, where right. it hurt hurts you, but you do it anyways. And it, it appears. And I, I got my question is: Do you think this next thing that Gray Mock does, which I want you to tell everybody, is that that, or, or no? Because what happens? Well, because the the experiment man does something, right? Uh, yeah. Hang on one second. So, like, yeah, the experiment is, is up there. And the experiment asks Snuff, he goes, the count? And it's just a question here. Had Greymont sent him after our ally, mm-hmm. the count? And Snuff's like, the man on the ground, take him away. And so that's what experiment pets a cat. <laughs> and experiment yeah, right? Then experiment goes and takes the count, basically saves the count, gets him out of the way, right? He does. Yeah. He just serves another wonderful purpose. He's truly affecting these things, this outsider. It really is. Yeah. Um, and he, what yeah. And count? That's right. And so it had Greymock sent him after our ally. Did Is Greymock helping the closers? You mm-hmm. know? That's that's the speculation, right? Yeah, that seems to be what happened. You know, it's not definitive, but it's it's kind of it's kind of lovely. I kind of dig that. Um, so then we have Jill realizing as she's holding the wand, he says, I can read the realization coming to her expression. And I heard Greymock's voice from the shadows. Come on, let's get the hell out of here. And they leave. And we have Puvo's um, back in the jacket. Uh, and I like, this is a great, um, 
uh, I don't even know what this is called, but it's a single note as of a crushed crystal goblet filled the air. I just, that's great. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can hear that so well. And the stone was blank again. Abruptly, the wind ceased and the voice that had already died away. Right. Um, so, so I, we, I've completely glossed over where some of these people went. <laughs> where did they go? <laughs> where did some of them go? Okay. So Morris and McCab's bodies got sucked into the stone, right? And then, um, well, they got the tentacles, got them. The tentacles got them. That's right. And then, uh, Larry Talbot leaps at the vicar and, and they roll, roll around and, uh, knock the icon off the count and, uh, they get sucked through the closing gate. Larry Talbot and the Vicar both get sucked through the closing gate. Isn't that crazy and cool? And I can't believe I skipped over that just to get to my my thing about Greymalk. I got got issues. Uh, But yeah, like it's like the whole heroic move of the thing is he has been shot three times. He's back in man form and he's rolling. He's finally, and he gets the Vicar and tackles him. You know, they're rolling around and boom, they're gone. Yeah. Through the gate. Never to be, well... Probably never be heard of again. From again, who knows? Yeah, certainly. That's. I mean, that's that's what my my thoughts are. Um, yeah. So we've had a lot of attrition here. <laughs> a lot of exactly folks met, met their demise. Yeah. Yeah, and then they're just sucking them in. So, but that's why it was it's such an important thing for the experiment man. He kind of blocks the sucking. Yep. You know it's why uh, Jax, you know, throws the the slitherers into the thing to kind of gunk mm-hmm. it up. I'm not sure. You know, what if that really works? But like, who knows? Um, it's just Jack is bracing himself. Like, it's really crazy, fun, cool stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it kind of closes, right? It kind of closes. Yeah. You want to you do the honors of reading the last sentence? No, I want you to. You're introducing me to this, and I'd love for you to do it. Yeah. So the, the uh, oft-discussed last sentence of the book is... Uh, Jack and Jill went down the hill. Gray and I ran after. So, <laughs> that's how we leave things. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I, it's extraordinarily clever. And um, since we're done, I'll go ahead. And that was a uh, an early on. There, there. I've heard people who think wrongly and, and almost idiotically that um, that that last sentence is the entire punchline of the book. And it's um, it's very, very confusing to me uh, why people would think that. I mean, that's just a really wonderful, you know, it's just a wonderful ending for so many reasons. But, um, you know, the whole point of this thing, because, you know, maybe we talk about this in in the after show, Michael, but um, I I don't think I mentioned that this book was allegedly done on a bet that that's apocryphal. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's appropriate to talk about now, but. yeah, well, yeah, I think we talk about it now. We'll probably talk about it more later. I, yeah, yeah, I can see that that just does, like, I, I don't like that interpretation at all. Uh, it, it cheapens the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I just did real quick is go back to the beginning of the book to see if there's any kind of, because if you were going to do that, you would, it would, it would bookend, right? You would think. You know, yeah, you would, there, well, it would, ha- it would need to. Yeah, like, there's, you're right. Uh, there's not, there's not one. Yeah. No, there's not. So we start. I'm a watchdog. My name is Stuff. And even in, if you go to the first chapter, you know, there's nothing there. How does that? How does that nursery rhyme start? Jack and Jill Jack went and up Jill the hill to fetch a pail of water. Yeah, to fetch a pail of water. Yeah, no, fuck that shit. 
Yeah, it's just it's not even yeah it's not it's not even paralleling the verse. It's just borrowing this and that from it. Exactly. I think it's exactly. awesome. Yeah, I, love the, I, I do love too. It. I I dig <laughs> it. I absolutely dig it. I like that he's right just before that. It's like I'll buy you that drink. Yeah, that's right. Um, I do want to mention this briefly, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about in the next podcast probably a little further. I was uh, a little shocked and a little disappointed that I didn't get a, a denouement. I guess I'm supplying my own. Like in my head, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I really, I wouldn't have mind three paragraphs at Jack and Snuff's place, some sherry, uh, a purring cat, you know, a dog. Like I would have, I could have, I could have enjoyed that, you know. You, you know, man, I tell you, I could have enjoyed that too, but I just think it's so ballsy and beautiful and boss the way he chose to end it like that without that you know it's yeah. just really like sometimes you stop you know and it's just i don't know it, it, i hear what you're saying though man that would have been cool wouldn't it no it completely it completely works this way this is the ballsier move and the better way to do it uh, yeah. i'm sure but uh and again i'm supplying my own i'm giving my own scene <laughs> you know in there and and, it, yeah. and it's and it's lovely and they all live That's happily fine. ever after and i enjoy it absolutely <laughs> Uh, Stan Merritt, thank you so much for this. Uh, this has been so much fun. We are going to do a recap, and we've got a special guest coming on our recap. Uh, who is that guest? I believe we're having uh, our old friend, uh, the inimitable and the esteemed uh, Matthew Andrew Hirsch, uh, a.k.a. Matt Hirsch, our friend, is going to join us, I think. He's, a, he's an avid reader and into this, and uh, it should be. I think it should be fun. I think it will be. So we'll be right back in just a moment with Matt Hirsch, and we'll recap this whole experience. Thanks for listening. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have said we'll be right back. What I meant to say was on the very next episode, we'll do a recap of the whole process uh, with Stan, myself, and Matt Hirsch, and I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, The book may be over, but the conversation is not just quite yet. Uh, Until we meet again, Dana Doggo Holmes.